Well, good morning. Welcome to Central, where we seek transformation through renewal in Christ. Christ, he is committed to changing our lives, our community and world, and therefore so are we. My name is Charles Godwin. I am one of the pastors here. We are continuing our At the Table series this morning, looking at another of Jesus's mealtime interactions with people. And this one is full of surprises. Just prior to this passage, Jesus was speaking um, to a crowd about light and the darkness and how we need eyes given to us by him to see the darkness in all of us and the new light and life that he delights to give. And it's during this scene that one of the Pharisees in the crowd invites Jesus to a dinner party in his home. And Jesus decides to go. Now, let me tell you, this was not like any other dinner party that you or I have ever attended. Have you ever been to a dinner party and the guest calls the host a fool? I'm not. But that's what happens at this party. Jesus, an invited guest, calls the host a fool. And then he lets not only the host, but all of his friends have it. That's pretty bold, don't you think? But Jesus is angry. He is angry at the hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the oppression and death that false hypocritical religion brings to so many people. It is enslaving. When people focus on the outside and leave their hearts to rot. It sends people to hell. So Jesus is angry, and he unloads on this man and his guests. Now, there's a lot for us to learn today, not only about the Pharisees, but also about ourselves. Because even though we think of the Pharisees as others, friends, we are they. We are they. Their sin is in us in various degrees, and it is prudent for us to examine our hearts and our lives and to repent and believe in Jesus anew today. For although Jesus is righteous in his anger, at the same time, he is loving and compassionate as he exposes the Pharisees and us. Jesus delights And he continues to delight in mercy and bringing healing by the grace of his own blood. So let me pray for us, and then I'll read the scriptures. Holy Spirit, we pray for soft hearts. Help us not to harden our hearts and help us to see Jesus. And we pray in his name. Amen. Our text is Luke 11, verses 37 through 44. If you're using the Pew Bible, you can find that on page 870. This is God's Word. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner. And the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! 
Did he not who made the outside make the inside also? But give as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Susan Howitch is an English novelist. She's written several series of books. One book particular entitled Glittering Images, there is a character, his name is Dr. Charles Ashworth. He is an Anglican priest. He's young, he's talented, he's gracious. He's a rising star in the ranks. Almost from the first page, he is such a likable and a virtuous guy. Atchworth was sent to, by the Archbishop of Canterbury to investigate his own bishop for possible sexual infidelities. You see him as this character. He's in ruthless pursuit of the truth. He wants to get to the bottom of this potential sin of his leader. His star rises even more. But then it comes crashing down. As Ashworth's true colors begin to be revealed. For he has a secret life himself. Being captive to some of the same sins he investigates in others. He's been living with a glittering image of himself, a false self that he projects to everyone around him. He's a hypocrite, projecting to the world around him a false image that everyone loves, even the reader. And yet God in his grace reveals Ashworth's imposter to begin the deep work of rebuilding him as a whole man. It is through Ashworth's failure and difficulties that God begins a long and painful work of rebuilding and restoring him. His gospel life begins when God reveals him as an imposter so that the real Ashworth is changed by the grace of God. This is what Jesus does in our text today. For the Pharisees, for those who hear him around the table at the dinner party, and he does that for us too. Jesus pursues them and us to reveal our imposter, our facades, so that we are changed by his mercy and grace. Jesus shines his light into our lives this morning to reveal what is truly there beyond what we present to people what we want them to see, what we project out, Jesus shines his light into our hypocrisy and our facades to reveal our true souls that need cleansing desperately. Jesus takes true faith seriously. As I said earlier, I'll say it again and again, it is prudent for us to examine our hearts and lives and to repent and believe in Jesus anew today. It's not too late for although Jesus is righteous in his anger, at the same time, he is loving and compassionate as he exposes the Pharisees and us. Jesus delights and continues to delight in mercy and brings healing by the grace of his own blood. 
So what are the facades Jesus reveals to the Pharisees and us? The first one is this, our well-manicured, put-together lives. Lives that look squeaky clean on the outside while they're foul and dark and dead on the inside. In our text, we see the Pharisee. Jesus goes to this Pharisee's house for a meal. It's probably a dinner party because there's a group of people there. Pharisees, lawyers, others. Most scholars agree that the Pharisee, he wasn't just being hospitable. He was looking for a way to trap Jesus. So he wanted more time with him. Come to my house. And also the scholars agree that Jesus knew exactly what he was walking into and what he was going to do. This host is astonished. He sees that Jesus doesn't wash before the meal. Now why? It's not that Jesus doesn't practice good hygiene. The washing is about ceremonial purposes. There were lots of procedural rules within, with a certain order for washing your hands, letting the water drip down in a certain way so as to maintain ceremonial cleanliness. They washed in this way to indicate a washing away of the defilement of the world. That defilement on the outside created by rubbing shoulders with unclean people, with Gentiles, with people not like us. And it must be washed off so as not to be ingested while eating. So that the inside doesn't get dirty from all the stuff out there. It is a way to keep the sin and the filth on the outside washed off. And they thought that that would make you clean before God and man. But Jesus, determined to make a point here, so on purpose, he does not wash first. We need to recognize Jesus is not disregarding God's law here. This was a man-made rule. This ceremony, it was dreamed up by the Pharisees, and it was elevated to this place of command for everybody else. And friends, that is always a bad idea. To take our opinions, our preferences, our ideas, our practices, our ways of doing things, and to treat them as equal to God's commandments for ourselves and others. And when we do so, it leads us down a road to hypocrisy. So when Jesus doesn't follow the Pharisees' little rule, they're appalled. They think it's a gotcha moment for Jesus. But what does Jesus say in verse 39? He says, you cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness, you fools. You are fools, he said, if you think that symbolically washing away a little dirt, a little defilement from the world means that your heart is clean. You're a fool if you think you're righteous if you don't take on or take in the sin of the world. Now, why is that? Because the problem is that the unrighteousness is already there in our hearts. The prophet Jeremiah writes, the heart is deceitful above all things. And beyond cure, who can understand it? All sorts of greed, all sorts of wickedness, it's already there in our hearts. You can't wash it off from the outside and expect your heart to be clean. The Apostle Matthew records Jesus saying to the Pharisees, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, 
For you are like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanliness. Friends, you can't wipe clean the outside of your lives and expect the inside is clean too. It's a facade, but it's one we like to portray. But if it was true, if we could do that, we wouldn't need a savior. But we do. Because our souls are false and full of sin. But Jesus is full of truth and grace. We can't shine up the outside of our lives and think that our soul is clean too. And this is challenging for us because we do like to pretend like this. We love to portray, I love to portray a well-manicured, put-together life. We love to portray lives that look so squeaky clean on the outside while they're foul and dark and dead on the inside. We live in a world of beautiful people, beautiful people right here at Central. And you may think you're different from others. Whether it's others here at Central that are sitting around you or those others outside. Because you look good, smell good, you dress in a certain way, you think a certain way, you speak a certain way, you act a certain way, your children are all put together. But you're not different than anyone else. Because your heart is unclean and it's rotten and it needs the cleansing work of Jesus alone to heal it. And to make it new. You know, you may be here and you're angry because you've been trying to do this for so long. You're resentful. You're absolutely worn out by all the keeping up of appearances. Praise God that Jesus loves us enough to expose our facades of hypocrisy. So that we see the truth about ourselves and our need. Man looks at what? The outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Jesus confronts the Pharisees and us to heal. You hear that? Jesus confronts the Pharisees and us to heal. He is willing to embarrass us, to tell the world we can't fool him, in order to cleanse the inside of our hearts and lives by his gracious sacrifice of dying on the cross in our place. In verse 41, we read, But give us alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. If we want to live and act with holiness, God has to change our hearts. He has to regenerate us. He has to work within us by his sovereign power to make us alive in him. And then we will act with clean hearts. So friends, let us examine our hearts and lives. Let us take off the facade, the mask of pretending to be clean today by projecting some glittering image to the world and ask Christ to cleanse the inside. James Proctor penned these words, which are sung as a hymn. Cast your deadly doing down, down at Jesus' feet. Stand in Him and Him alone, gloriously complete. Another facade we hide behind that Jesus reveals to the Pharisees and us is our rule-keeping or traditionalism for tradition's sake. In verse 42 we read, But woe to you Pharisees, you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done 
without neglecting the others. Now understand, Jesus is not condemning tithing. God has called his people to tithe. He's called us to give to his church for the purpose of kingdom ministry. But the problem with the Pharisees is they were excessive in their rule keeping. They not only tithed on their income, but the herbs from their gardens. They carefully broke and cut an exact tenth from the stalks and gave it to the priest. They were so detailed and obsessive about cutting that one tenth of a mint leaf. And yet they neglected the other parts of God's concern. Loving him and others. The weightier matters of the law that we just confessed, like doing justly to others, loving mercy, and walking humbly with God. What we do with our funds, it's important to God. However, an ever more revealing test is how we treat the people around us who are in need. The Pharisees often major on the minors, and we do too. It's so easy to love some rules, to be right and proper, and in doing so, to run roughshod over people, image bearers of God in the process. It's so easy for us to pay lip service to God and continue giving our hearts away to other things, nursing our sin in the dark, our idolatry hidden behind rule-keeping. Author Jean Fleming, in her book Between Walden and the Whirlwind, writes, In the twenty-some years I've been a Christian, I've received instruction on, been challenged to read my Bible daily, pray without ceasing, do in-depth Bible study, regularly memorize Scripture, meditate day and night, fellowship with other believers, always be ready to give an answer to questioning unbelievers, give to missions and to the poor, work as unto the Lord, use my time judiciously, give thanks in all circumstances, serve the body and use my gifts to edify others. Keep a clean house as a testimony. Practice gracious hospitality. Submit to my husband. Love and train my children. Disciple other women. Manage finances as a good steward. Involve myself in school and community activities. Develop and maintain non-Christian friendships. Stimulate my mind with careful reading. Improve my health through diet and exercise. Color coordinate my wardrobe. Watch my posture and simplify my life by baking my own bread. (laughs) What a list of rules. I had a friend that commented on this quote, and he said this, Scripture really does speak to many of these things, commands or commends them. But when you read or you hear that list, it feels crushing. It's not about just doing these things or keeping these rules, but what is our posture as we do so? Are we more concerned about the facade of rule-keeping and traditionalism for tradition's sake rather than loving God and others? Now, I don't want to leave this point without saying this. As a church, we have to examine our hearts and lives, and we have to push back against this facade especially as we think about our wonderful traditions, our excellent worship, our reformed theology. And yet it is possible for us to pursue these traditions and rules and neglect the heart of our God behind them. 
It may be easier for us to have right and proper worship of the King of kings and Lord of lords and it be a defilement to him. How? When we lay a hold of tradition and we neglect God's heart, which is reflected in care for the weak, the widow, those in desperate and deep need around us, people with whom we may not naturally be friends. When we think, when we make sure that we get a certain theological position just right, and we couldn't care less about adopting orphans in distress or reaching out to the one whose marriage and family has fallen apart, we are no different than the Pharisees Jesus rebukes. Let us not lay aside our tradition, but rather realize our tradition and rules are there to lead us into a relationship with Jesus. Let us not love our traditions and shut off the world around us. Praise God that Jesus loves us enough to expose our facades of hypocrisy that care too much about minor things and neglect his heart. Although it's painful to do this work of self-examination and to see ourselves in this light, know that we are pursued by a Jesus who loves us, has given himself for us, and longs for relationship with us. He longs for this so much that he went to a cross and he died and bled for your facade of hypocrisy. And he gives his life to woo you back and call you to put your trust in his work rather than in your commitment to traditions and rules. Repent, turn again, and find Jesus' tomb empty and believe and see his power to come after you in love and mercy. The final facade Jesus denounces is our desire for and a quest for reputation and recognition. Look at verse 30, 43. For you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. The Pharisees, they were always in pursuit of the best seat and a better reputation. If you can envision this, the leaders, it would be like there's chairs up front facing toward you. And the leaders were invited to sit in the front of the synagogue and stare at you the whole time, right? These were seats of honor. And if you were invited to sit there, you knew you had arrived and you were in a place to be envied. It bettered your standing in the community as ones occupying those seats were revered and given titles of honor. To hide behind perceived spiritual accomplishments. To revel in all that you've done for God. To, present, to project a glittering image of the one busy for the Lord that hides a rotted soul dead on the inside is a facade of hypocrisy. And that's Jesus' assessment in verse 44 where he says, Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. According to Numbers 16, if someone touched a human grave, he or she was considered unclean for seven days and would have to undergo expansive cleaning rituals. So for that reason, most graves in Israel were very clearly marked so that no one would become unclean by touching one. Yet Jesus says, those who long for reputation and recognition are like unmarked graves, defiling others who come in contact with them. And those who come in contact with such reputation seekers, they don't even know they've been defiled. How does this happen? 
Religious people seeking recognition and reputation often lead others into the soul rot of hypocrisy, all the while pretending to honor God. It is deadly to pretend to be one thing on the outside and yet in reality to be another within. How much do you love when your devotion to God is seen and recognized by others? We can be publicly adamant about biblical truth. We can be praised for it. In fact, we can be recognized as principled. We can be liked by lots of followers, both in person and now online. We can seek that. And all the while leading unsuspecting crowds to think that the way of spiritual life is to pretend to pose, to seek to look perfect on the outside, to act as if everything is all well put together, to keep busy for God while in truth we're neglecting the heart of Christ who pursues us and others in love and mercy. We lay undue burdens on ourselves and others. It's anything but restful. It's tiring. And yet who does Jesus invite? He invites the burdened to come to him and find rest. Friends, a hypocrite lives having a death grip on reputation so that no one will find out what he or she is really like, what's truly on the inside. Again, praise God. He, Jesus, loves us enough to expose these facades of hypocrisy that care too much about reputation and recognition. Why does he do this? Because he knows and loves what's really there. He bled and died for the real you. You don't have to desire to be important, to long for honor, to bury yourself in busyness at the church just as a measure of spiritual life. God doesn't respect and love you more based on your reputation or recognition. Jesus sees and loves you just as you are. And he delights to clean behind the facade. You don't have to hide anymore. The truth is every person in this room is a hypocrite to one degree or another. But thanks be to God that Jesus loves us enough to remove those facades. He loves hypocrites. He bled and died for hypocrites. And he has promised by the power of his cross and resurrection to change hypocrites who call out to him for healing. I heard about a seminary professor who was criticized by some of her students for not capitalizing divine pronouns in her syllabus. Her response, if you want to honor God, repent of your sins. God wants your heart. And that can be a much more difficult proposition than capitalizing pronouns. He doesn't just want you to have a well-manicured, put-together life that looks squeaky clean on the outside while it's foul and dark and dead on the inside. He doesn't just want you to be so concerned about rule-keeping and traditionalism for tradition's sake that you neglect love for him and others. He doesn't just want you to seek at all costs reputation and recognition and unduly burden yourself and others and miss his call to lay down burdens and find true rest in him. You don't have to perform for God to get him to notice and love you. He knows all about you. He knows your facades and what they reveal about your heart, and he loves you. He sent his son for you 
So rest in Jesus. Take off the facade and rest in him and him alone. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do pray that you would give us rest this morning. True rest. Soul-cleansing rest. And when you do so, then you would help us to be about the good of loving you and loving others. Have mercy on us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.